Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Voice of San Diego podcast. I am Scott Lewis, Editor-in-Chief at Voice. So, PolitiFest happened. We got through it. It was our biggest event of the year last Saturday at the University of San Diego. It was a day filled with discussions about housing, transit, and homelessness. We focused only on those issues, and that turned out to be very attractive to a lot of people. Thank you to everyone who attended and all of the people who helped put it together, not only the sponsors and the members and the donors, but also the many, many volunteers. It is really moving to be part of an organization where so many people want to come out and help uh, on a Saturday like that. Uh, so as the day closed, we had a live podcast with the candidates for mayor, Assemblyman Todd Gloria, uh, Councilwoman Mar- Barbara Bree, and activist Tasha Williamson gathered at uh, the main venue there. And that was fun. It, it got intense at times, and we were able to bring it back out and, and have some more fun and then bring it back to a a deeper, more uh, important place, and then, and again, have some fun. It was worth uh, the effort, and it's worth your listen, I think. Here's the audio of that debate. Hello. Hello, and welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast. How great was PolitiFest 2019, huh? By golly, I think this is working. How many people here saw Liam Dillon? Where's, is Liam here? Did he scoot out? Oh, he scooted out. Ah, Liam. I love Liam. He's all grown up now, huh? <laughs> Liam Dillon. How many people went to the homeless track? That was good, huh? Oh, man. That first, uh, that first one really moved me. That, that was good stuff. Uh, Lisa Halberstadt, are you here? Lisa did a great job with that. Congrats, Lisa. Oh, she's a, she's a wallflower in the back. Thank you, Lisa. Um, how many of you are Voice of San Diego members? Yes! And the others, don't worry about your profound guilt. <laughs> Just hold it. It's okay. We'll get you at some point. Uh, after this, we will, of course, go to the gorgeous back plaza for the reception. So if you don't know where it is, just go that way. Uh, around the building, and it's, uh, you don't have to go around, you just go through those halls, but there's a wonderful setting, and should be some good uh, discussions and conversation. Uh, thank you all. Thank you all to our sponsors. I want to say again, um, the, uh, 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 the uh, Sequan Band of Kumiye Nation, thank you so much for making this possible. All the members uh, and all the session sponsors who pulled this together. Uh, it's a wonderful day. It is truly moving for me that so many people want to come and learn and talk about these issues. So uh, this is the the capstone event. We were very excited to uh, to get the mayoral candidates confirmed for this when that happened. And uh, we are ready to have a good discussion. Uh, Here's the thing. There's going to be four opportunities to ask questions, but you have to play a game with us if you're going to do it. You understand? So when it comes time to volunteer, that's your chance to ask a question. 
You just have to deal with what comes with it. Got it? All right. Going to bring up our contestants today. <laughs> I don't manage debates with timers. I don't manage debates with cards that say your time is up. I don't do any of that. We will manage for fairness, though. If somebody's droning on and on, I want you to start to moan a little bit. <laughs> no big deal, nothing huge, no heckles. Uh, but uh, we will try to make sure people have the opportunity to respond. It will be a conversational discussion and hopefully a fruitful one. And I'm really excited that we're focusing only on transportation and housing. So if we don't ask about pensions or something like that, it's not because we don't care. It's because that's the focus of today, because those, those are two very big issues we wanted to make sure everybody grapples with. Okay. If you are a powerful man in San Diego, she definitely wants to hear from you and hear from you about how powerful you are <laughs> and how she could accommodate you. She runs a lot. She runs a lot. She enjoys running. She enjoys watching and commenting on running. And she runs Voice of San Diego's news team. She's managing editor Sarah Libby. He wants you to know there is already transit to the airport. <laughs> it is the MTS bus line 992, and it's fine. <laughs> MTS bus line 992. It gets you into downtown. It's just getting out of downtown that might be the problem, right? He can show you the proper way to puncture a Capri Sun. You should ask him. There is a proper way. And he's assistant editor, Andrew Keats. Welcome. Andy, how are you? How was your event? It was pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah. Uh, did you figure do out you want, transit? Do you want to hear my uh, transit to the airport story? Yeah. All right. I didn't get to get to this during the transit uh, part of the debate today, so I, and I had intended to. So. Um, <laughs> I was flying out of San Diego uh, recently, and we missed our flight. Never mind how or why. Uh, life with a two-year-old, though, is difficult. And what happened was we had seven hours between that flight that we had missed and our next flight. So we could either stay in the airport for seven hours with a two-year-old or go home. Uh, the problem with going home is we had already checked our car seat. So uh, taking a Lyft or Uber home was literally impossible. Uh, but there is the 992 bus. and Transit to the airport. Transit to the airport, right. And lucky for us, it was coming in like two minutes. So we just walked downstairs, got on the bus, cost a few bucks, uh, whisked us right down. This was 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday. His wife's here, by the way, if you yeah. need to fact check any of this. Hello, Carly. <laughs> yes. Everybody, applause for Carly for dealing... <laughs> So it was 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday, but so there was no traffic leaving, uh, leaving the airport or going through downtown. We whisked through to the City College Station, where many uh, bus rapid transit lines converge, where there's a trolley line. It's a, a real transit hub. There's apartments built on top of it. Everything is great. What wasn't great is that the two bus doesn't run all that often at 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday. In fact, it does run basically at all at 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday. So getting from the airport 
out into downtown was not an issue at all. It was the other mile and a half of the way that we had to get to. And uh, since the next bus wasn't coming for another hour and a half, we had to walk our toddler uh, up that hill through Golden Hill and back home. My point here is that transit to and from the airport is only so good as the transit system as a whole. And if you don't have high frequency transit to get you from where you go, it's only so good as you happen to live on the tro trolley stop that the trolley takes you from. So there you go. There you go. All right. Last year, she launched Building Justice, a nonprofit benefiting disadvantaged individuals trying to navigate the educational criminal justice and social service systems. At the Women's March in January, she said, when there's no politician who looks like you, become one. She's Tasha Williamson. Welcome, Tasha. Tasha, do you have any similar war stories on the uh, transit? <laughs> transit is everywhere I live, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank We're, you. All right. Thank you. I guess it's not tonight yet, huh? Okay. She was, the, was a founder of ProFlowers.com, UCSD Connect, and the company that put some of those early internet terminals in hotel rooms. She was a journalist at the Sacramento Bee, the LA Times, and she was the founding CEO of Voice of San Diego. She's city councilwoman, Barbara Bree. Yeah, I didn't know that, did you? Yeah. I'm happy to talk to you about it if you want. But. He was the city council president. He wanted to be in Congress until he saw what Bob Filner was like when Bob Filner came back from D.C. <laughs> Sorry. He got a bill passed in Sacramento to force governments to have a uniform minimum for archiving emails. And we were very excited to see that. Then the governor vetoed it. Ooh. You can Ooh. move. He's Assemblyman Todd Gloria. <laughs> All right. Housing and transportation, huh? Let's get right into it. So one thing I haven't heard talked about this much, um, maybe you mentioned an ear panel, Andy, but um, I haven't heard despite this being a transit-oriented event. Um, I just want to jump right into it and see where you all stand on MTS's Elevate SD tax increase. Start with you, Todd. I support it. This is an uh, auditory medium. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm a very efficient person. You want me running the city, okay? I, we I'm don't. pretty... <laughs> I'm going to regret telling you to talk. Yeah, more. we don't, but, we me, don't need to encourage the politicians yeah. to but, talk more, please. If, if I can just say, I think that it could address your 6.30 in the morning challenge, where we could have uh, longer hours of service, more frequent bus service, do the kinds of smaller scale capital improvements that could be done swiftly to really dispel once and for all the notion that we can't have quality public transit here, and hopefully uh, allow us to inform a broader and bigger effort sometime in the future. Yeah, do you, do you actually prefer the capital projects over the frequency issue, or is there a, a, a opposite or some sort of 
balance? Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's one or the other. I think it has to be a blend of both. But when you're talking about bus only lanes on particular thoroughfares or other sorts of more modest capital improvements that don't require lots of planning, et cetera, I think we could do those. I think we can make a transformational change quickly. But no, I, I think the, the more uh, uh, immediate need is to extend its frequency, uh, extend the hour of operations, provide youth opportunity bus passes to allow young people to get to school, get to work. I think those should be the primary objectives of this measure. Tasha? I, I definitely uh, support it as well. The only uh, downfall for me is that people don't spend money when they say they're going to spend it and where they're going to spend it. And so I'm um, holding them accountable um, because we have a lot of waste that is happening in the city and county. Um, so making sure that they spend that tax money uh, where they say they're going to spend it and that we have um, busing uh, currently that is on the freeways where I think we should have trolleys um, and so that we should stop widening freeways for buses and put trolleys on there like they have in Los Angeles where I'm from um, so we can have a transit system that um, actually supports the great city that we live in. I do not support it at this time. In 2016, um, the voters defeated Measure A, which if it had passed, and Mr. Gloria did support it, if it had passed, we would have been building all the wrong things. And as Voice of San Diego uncovered in some great reporting, you found out that Sandag was lying to us about revenues from the past and revenues that were going to come in the future. I think we still haven't regained the trust of the public. And I think if we're going to pass a tax measure, we need to do it on a regional basis after we've regained the trust of the public and after we've demonstrated that we can make transit work on the blue line, which will uh, connect downtown to the UTC area, which is the number one employment center in the region. Uh, we, we, that will be opening in the fall of 2021. And as many of you know, the traffic going north in the morning is terrible and the reverse going in the afternoon on Interstate 5. We need to prove we can address first mile and last mile issues on the blue line if we're ever going to have a chance of getting the voters to pass a tax increase. Two thirds is a big hurdle. There are gonna be a number of tax measures on the November ballot, both statewide and local, and I wanna focus on what the most important issue in the region is, which is homelessness. You, you, said, you said that you don't support it at this time. Is there something specific that, that, that they could do to change it? Well, mean, first of all, I haven't seen it. It's not finalized. And um, as you heard my background, I'm a former journalist, uh, and I like to read things before I decide whether to support them. Todd, I want to give you a chance to respond. Do you regret your support? You were at PolitiFest 2016 on stage talking about Measure A, supporting it. Do you regret that you didn't interrogate that more or, or some of the assumptions behind it? The, in, in 2019, there are certainly regrets to be had. In 2016, some of this information wasn't known, uh, even to board members. Um, and I think importantly, in that context, this is pre-AB 805, which I was proud to vote for in the legislature, this is what we could accomplish. And I think that there is this continual pattern in San Diego. We've jokingly coined it the San Diego special, where we talk about stuff ad nauseum and we never, ever get anything accomplished. I think the kinds of answers that sometimes you hear about this stuff, you know, now, now is not the right time, let's not do this, you know, so on and so forth, really prescribes us to a situation where you know, we're continually talking about what we might do someday, 
and we never ever get to it. And I think that missed opportunity, particularly within Measure A, to increase transit frequency, to reduce uh, uh, times in between buses and trolleys arriving, potentially doing lower fares, uh, was something that would have been transformational for families if it were passed in 2016. And that's years of missed opportunity that uh, those folks are not able to benefit from. Hmm. You were on Sandex board for quite a while. You were, uh, I, I often use the term like inner circle Sandag members in, in terms of people who spend a lot of time and really devote a lot of attention there. Do you think the board in the run up to 2016 and the years before that was um, adequately, uh, uh, you know, was forcing accountability around the costs of the projects that were part of Transnet, the revenues that were coming in for Transnet, and what that meant about what any new revenue would have paid for, which, you know, as we now know, it wouldn't have paid for those Measure A projects. It would have paid back the old promises. Do you, do you think as a board, you specifically and the board as a whole, was acting in their official capacity to oversee the agency as well as they should? Well, clearly there was room for improvement. And I think that what the challenge with Sandag and yes, I was very engaged there because I'm passionate about transportation and mobility and trying to give San Diegans freedom of choice when it comes from getting from A to B because right now you basically have one choice and it's a car. And if we're going to be a great community with a vibrant economy, we need to give more choices. But to your question, my observation about the challenge with Sandag is that it has got a budget that's roughly equal to the size of the city of San Diego's general fund. And yet it's elected officials sort of part-time gig. You know, this is what you do uh, every other Friday in the morning for a couple of hours. And the vast majority of the people are not uh, folks like Barbara and I who have full-time staffs that can help us look at this stuff. And so you really have created a circumstance where there's a tremendous amount of resources being minded by uh, folks who don't spend as much time. They, they're in, you know, if you're the mayor of Santee, you're the mayor of Santee, but you have a full-time job in the private sector coupled with this. And so I think we need to reevaluate some of that because I recognize it as being a real challenge to spend all week reading city council agendas, reading an MTS agenda, reading a SANDAG agenda, and trying to do all of the due diligence. And I did that with staff help. And I know it's even harder for those who don't have that. I'm going to give Barbara and Tasha a chance to respond to any of that. Barbara? So uh, Mr. Gloria brought up a really good point. It's really important to have good people around you advising you researching issues that you don't have time to, challenging you, asking hard questions. And I've done that over and over again in my life, in both the, the business world, in the nonprofit world, starting two organizations that empower women, Athena San Diego and Run Women Run. And you're only as good as the team around you. And I like a team that challenges me all the time. And I think that's what mi was missing at Sandag back in 2016 and before. No one was challenging anybody. And that would not exist when I am mayor. When I am mayor, I want to be challenged every day. I want people around me who challenge me every day, all in the interest of making San Diego a better place for all of you. Natasha? I think that uh, trust is um, very hard um, for community members, uh, especially community members uh, in districts uh, where people have lied um, and have done things uh, without bringing them to the table. Uh, I also think that uh, we have to get things done. We have to move the transit um, so that it is a transit for a big city. Uh, it is, it, we've got to. People cannot get to where they need to go. Um, and it causes us to do things like build freeways with more lanes so we have more cars when we're talking about um, a environmental crisis. And so I definitely have to say that um, trust will take forever 
if you're talking about people from communities where I come from, um, because there has been a lot of lies that have happened. There has been a lot of uh, mismanagement of money everywhere, from the city to the county uh, to Sandag and so on. And so we have to move. We have to move forward, and we have to begin to bring people to the tables the tables where decisions are made. Sandag is gonna to have to open their doors. Uh, MTS is gonna to have to open their doors and start bringing citizens to the table, decision-making tables, so that they can build trust. But we have to move the transit forward. People need transit. Uh, and we definitely need to be a big city and not a, a little town, as Todd says. All right, you get to pick. Scooters or bike lanes? <laughs> Well, you know how I feel about scooters. <laughs> I do. I want to talk to you about that. All right, let me ask you about scooters. So you caught, um, uh, you caught our eye the other day at a forum like this where you made a point about scooters, and you were trying to make it as like a broader take about your experience and how it would inform your ability to figure stuff like this out. And you particularly hit Mr. Gloria for supporting a law that made it so you don't have to wear helmets on the scooters. And we're forbidden in the city of San Diego or any city from requiring a helmet. Got the it. state took away that power from us. Got it. Now, one of the things you said right after that was that, and these scooters, you just get on them and you fall off for no reason. <laughs> I, I like scooters. <laughs> and I haven't fallen off one yet. I might. <laughs> Why can't I ride a scooter? in San Diego if you're mayor? So, when this, so first of all, you've heard my background. I have a broad business background, and I've been in the technology world. So when the scooters first appeared on the streets of San Diego, which is almost two years ago, I went to the mayor right away. And I said, Mayor, you got to put a moratorium on. That's a temporary ban. You need to issue an RFP, which is what mayors in other cities did, San Francisco and Santa Monica. You know, they, the companies respond. They, how many will they need? What fees will they pay? How will they deploy them? How will they regulate them? How will they make sure every neighborhood get its fair share? The mayor would have none of it. And the legislative process is torturous, and it took the city council a year, and I was not on the committee that had purview over it, which I, I think was done on purpose. Because right away, we researched what was being done in other cities and made a series of recommendations. I could not even get my colleagues to support a ban on the beach boardwalks, which you know is a very narrow area in specifically in Mission Beach and Pacific Beach. So I understood the business model behind the scooters. And it depended on getting a statewide exemption from helmets and from prohibiting cities from requiring a helmet. And Mr. Gloria did support that legislation. And we are tragically seeing people suffering head injuries. Uh, this morning, we were canvassing in the Ocean Beach Point Loma area with a lot of college students um, knocking on doors with us, and they were commenting how uh, they see their friends literally just falling off the scooters. Uh, and people, I mean, not everybody falls off, and I'm glad you don't fall off. I'm an especially athletic individual, yeah, okay. so. But, but, I think, okay, but I think you've seen from the recent report that came out, they're disproportionately used between 4 p.m. and midnight which means they're probably be not being used as a first mile, last mile vehicle. They're being used as entertainment. And, and there have been studies that a large number of the people who are using them later at night are inebriated, which is not a good combination. So I just want people to wear a helmet. I want them to be safe. 
Uh, when Mr. Gloria sponsored the legislation, he said it was to put it in sync with bicycles. If you're over 18, you don't need to wear a helmet on a bicycle, but I'll kill my husband if he doesn't wear a, a helmet. So he's going to be in that bad shape either way. That seems counterproductive if you're trying to bad shape either way. So he might as well wear a helmet. I understand. But they are not bicycles. They are flimsy electrical devices that are made in China. That's I'm gonna, what scooters I'm gonna, are. I'm going to get in trouble. We focus too much on scooters, but I do want you to respond. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the industry uh, benefited wildly for operating in San Diego for nearly two years without regulation. Uh, for our city council is incapable of taking direct action uh, to not do what we've already seen in the few months when they have been regulated by the city, where you've seen a few of the providers leave town. Uh, you see a reduction in usage. I mean, those are available options to the city. The council did not do that. And it takes more than one trip to the mayor's office to try and get something done. You know, my time on the city council, you saw plenty of special interests try and thwart any number of initiatives that I took on, whether it was the minimum wage or uh, linkage fees for housing. The list goes on and on. I never gave up. I persisted. I can persist to this day with legislation in Sacramento trying to address this stuff. So, um, you know, I believe in being relentless. And in the re regard to this particular piece of legislation, you know, and often a political trick is to really tell people just one part of the story. The entirety of the story is that the bill also uh, prohibits riding on sidewalks, uh, prohibits uh, uh, children from riding without helmets. It prohibits them from obstructing uh, sidewalks and ADA access, and it makes it illegal to operate them while under the influence. And so the question, I think, for many San Diegans ought to be, why aren't we enforcing more on that? Or why aren't we even doing it when the state law passed but the city still hadn't acted? And I think I'd also question, why are we the one of the few cities that can't regulate this, can't regulate short-term vacation rentals, can't regulate all, any number of issues? It is back to that small-town mentality that we're going to have to break loose from and start acting like the big city that can actually take on and successfully resolve issues. You could, you could say anything here. You want. <laughs> so... People have more passion about scooters and bikes than they do people's lives. Um, and I think, um, for me, uh, you opened the door uh, to have all these businesses operating in our city uh, without our permission, without us being at the table, um, without even thinking of regulations. And, you know, from the state to the city to the county, all over. Um, they don't regulate. They open the door. They open their wallets. Uh, you know, there's there's people that are being bought and sold um, for big business, and millions of dollars is being made. People's lives are at stake, and we are talking literally about scooters and bikes so passionately. But I can't even get police officers to stop killing our people. I can't get regulation on how our people are treated in transportation with MTS security. I want to see as much passion about that. We come and we fight at city council, we fight at the state, and there's no one. We have schools where kids are being raped and molested, and there's nothing, there's no laws protecting them. So scooters and bikes, yes, there needs to be heavy regulation. Whenever we open the door for something, we should be regulating it. We should be making sure that we have funding to regulate it, and who is gonna regulate it? Because we're sending our police officers to do things that they are not trained to do, and they treat people sometimes with less dignity. It's hit or miss. You have good officers and rogue officers, and nobody's regulating them either. You can respond. So, 
thank you for your comments. They're very, very important what you just said. And I think what Mr. Gloria said is, and he was on the city council for eight years. I got there in the end of 2016, and what I found astounded me, which was a culture of deception, lies, and secrecy, and no enforcement on anything. And as I go all over the city, what doesn't get enforced varies from community to community. In one community, it's drugs and prostitution in, the, in a community park that doesn't get enforced. In the beach areas, it's short-term vacation rentals that doesn't get enforced. Around San Diego State, it's mini dorms that doesn't get enforced. In another community, it may be illegal dumping. So everywhere, it's something different. But this history has a long track record of not enforcing. And if, are you going to bring up short-term vacation rentals, or should I do it now? Don't do it now. <laughs> you want me to do it now? No, don't do it now. Okay, thank you. Okay, stop. don't do it now. Barbara, stop. <laughs> well, I would, I would like to, to just correct her, because drugs and prostitution is throughout this county. Um, so we should make be real clear that we're not talking about one park out of another because right. there are drugs and prostitution in every city, every neighborhood. So it's in La Jolla. It's everywhere. You're absolutely right. Well, let's just make sure. It's at the I beach. I want to make sure I protect my community like you protect yours. Yeah, it's in the beach areas. It's everywhere. All right. Let's talk about um, something I want to do. Uh, we're getting into more serious stuff, so let's get right into one. Uh, Barbara, you sent an email out um, a couple days ago. Uh, about uh, treating homelessness as principally, quote, a housing problem, and, and that that was bad. Is that, the, is that addressing the housing first model? I think housing by itself is not enough. What we're seeing from studies I've read is that the increase in homelessness is partly due to an increase in substance abuse and mental health issues. So just giving someone a place to live isn't going to solve that. You have to do both. But the Housing First model is sort of built on that idea of giving shelter first and then addressing the... And you, and you need to make sure you address that. So um, I was talking to a woman who lives in Golden Hill. The landlord across the street uh, participates in the Housing Our Heroes program. And so there are um, formerly homeless veterans living there. And those individuals have not been receiving the services that they need. And uh, there have been um, issues in the neighborhood with substance abuse out in public and drinking out in public. And it's sad because these individuals served our country and they're not getting what we owe them. So, uh, I and I'm not trying to play gotcha as much. I want to understand what, what evolved. In 2016, you told the UT that uh, you know, we've been working on homeless, trying to understand homeless. Apparently, we were doing the wrong things in San Diego. We weren't doing housing first. It seems like you were saying we should be doing housing first, and now you're saying focusing on housing was actually quite a mistake. I think um, I've learned over the last few years that if we don't focus on mental health and substance abuse issues, we are not going to reduce chronic homelessness. So it is essential that we focus on that also. Hmm. Want to respond? Uh, sure. I mean, this, this is a bigger issue than scooters, so we probably should have asked it first. Uh, this is the biggest issue in the city, and I would say that um, housing first presumes that there's something that comes after, and that is services. And the approach that was promoted, I think, in that message um, is very much the status quo. And I think that what we are doing is clearly not working. Uh, we are not seeing the reductions that we need to see. We're buying bankrupted indoor skydiving facilities and turning them into homeless facilities that house nobody. 
and we do it with no appraisal for probably twice than what it's worth, the current strategy is one of a series of dumb, uh, dumb policy moves, not informed by best practices. Housing first, permanent supportive housing is how communities are making transformational change. What is the quickest way to end someone's homelessness, everybody? Housing. So that, that statement is dangerous in the sense that this is a difficult issue for which people are understandably frustrated, but there, it requires leaders to be able to understand the issue and explain it to these communities so that they're not fearful of it and that we can actually create the housing where these folks can live and get the services to stay off the streets. I'm gonna give Tasha a chance to say. I just want to point out one thing that when um, Mr. Gloria served on the city council, we lost 9,000 single room occupancy units. Uh, we have about 5,500 homeless in the city of San Diego. Can I just point out, on Monday, Barbara, you didn't even vote for the 84 beds in, in Nestor, where you could have taken homeless people with mental illnesses and substance abuse issues off the streets. That now, was, thankfully, it passed, but if you say on one day that it's about mental health and, and substance abuse programs, and then you vote against it a few days that later. That was what a is, land use issue where we were told by our, we were advised by our city attorney when we approved it, and I did vote to approve it you know, many months ago, that we didn't need a coastal development permit. We've now found out that we did need a coastal development permit. We got bad legal advice. So I think what's gonna happen is we've improved this building, we've spent taxpayer money. We're not going, probably not going to be able to get a, a coastal development permit because Steve Padilla, the vice chair of the Coastal Commission from the South Bay, doesn't want this. So we will have wasted taxpayer money. So I think our city attorney should have found a different location. And Father Joe is actually putting up something about a mile from there that the community is totally supportive of. I think it was the wrong location given that it needs a coastal development permit, given the Coastal Commission's telling us we will need to replace, this was a motel need to replace these units, and if we have to do that, this thing economically does not make sense. I guess, Scott, in my experience, it's always the wrong place, the wrong time, not the right project, and it's a, it's a, it's a prescription for status quo and continue to have 8,000 people. So despite what she said, you would have supported? Along with the bipartisan supermajority of the council, yeah. Yeah, and six months from now, it's going to come back to us. We will not have gotten the coastal development permit. It will be city empty, and we will have wasted more taxpayer money and time where we could have found another location. The day after we approved our, the housing report, and I understand you had the authors of that report here earlier, I voted to approve 350 supportive housing units last voting week. Voting for plans is easy. Voting for projects is the that hard part. That was a project. I voted to support 350 housing units. I enjoy the back and forth, but I will stop it at some point. Um, Tasha, did you want to weigh in on housing first and homelessness? Yes, um, I believe housing is all of our problems. Um, I keep hearing people in different panels and all over the city and county talk about those people uh, when we talk about homeless uh, individuals. Those people are community members just like everybody sitting in this room. Uh, when we talk about, thank you. When we talk about housing and homelessness, we first have to look at um, the racist systemic failures of this city and county. And we have to deal with those. We have to look at those hard and people get uncomfortable when we start talking about race in the room, but we gotta deal with it. Um, I've been on section eight wait list for 18 years. What happens is that when you move in the county, the county doesn't transfer you, the city won't transfer you over to the county. There's processes that, there's loopholes, there's barriers. Um, Section 8 also has a program where it can help people have home ownership and they don't use it. Nobody looks at that data. 
Um, when we talk about housing, I keep saying that the city, we are going to have to become landlords. We are going to have to be the ones that drive down the rent because we are landlords. And we are going to have to invest in larger um, apartment uh, complexes. We are going to also have to invest in people becoming ownership. It's going to have to be levels of service. We are not providing people levels of service without barriers. And we have to be real. It is not about drug addiction and mental health only. It is also about systemic failures, where barriers keep people out of the services and supports that they need consistently, consistently. You wonder why somebody gets high? Because I've gone to 30 places and they've all said no. So I'm sleeping on the streets in front of a skydiving zone that costs $2 million, we paid $7 million for, that everybody says they do research about, but nobody seems to know that this mayor is spending 300 plus million dollars on property that is owned by his friends. Who did the deal with the $200 million SDG&E building that we pay $18,000 a day in fees? That makes no sense to me. We can't blame everybody. We have to blame the people who are supposed to be representing us that we elect and put in office and that do not do their jobs. That's who we blame. We blame the people who have organizations that create barriers that prevent people from getting access to services and homeless and housing. Housing first, how is somebody going to get housing if you have a barrier to it? Let's stop this. This is nonsense. This is on all of us, and we all have to come to the table. We all have to make sure that we reduce barriers. They've just done it across the nation in other cities where they have no barriers so people can actually get into housing. The UN just said that we are failing. We are breaking UN laws. We, San Diego, the greatest city, breaking laws with the UN. How about that? And we are also one of the richest cities. We should all be ashamed of ourselves. Sarah? A lot of these... Can you hear me? A lot of these conversations have been kind of kick-started and reinvigorated by the new homelessness plan that's come before the city that we've done a lot of work around reporting on and bringing context to. Um, so for each of you, if you were mayor, do you see the plan as something that you'd be willing to be held accountable on um, for its specific goals and targets, or do you consider it more of just a guiding document? Uh, the answer is yes. I voted to accept the report, and I will be held accountable for it. And I, and I have looked at the report very closely, and it is very doable. We can reduce chronic homelessness by half. We can cut veterans' homelessness down to zero. And that's why the most important thing to me going into the 2020 election in terms of a ballot measure is the Housing Federation ballot measure that will be a small increase in property taxes and will allow us to build the 3,500 to 5,000 permanent supportive and low-income housing units that we need to build in San Diego. And I will be supporting that measure. So just to be clear, the plan is the plan yes. that you will follow and apply to any new funding or funding that's already going out? Well, I think with any plan, you know, as you get new information, you sure. make changes. But I think it provides an excellent framework. Uh, the number is 1.9 billion, which on the surface sounds, you know, overwhelming, but a billion is actually capital to build new housing units. And if we can pass a tax measure, a tax measure I plan to support, that will provide us leverage to be able to take that bill, you get that billion dollars done, leaving 900 million, which is 90 million a year for 10 years. We have a 1.5 billion dollar general fund. 
San Diegans, this is an essential that we address this in a meaningful and humane way. We can afford to do it if we do the right things. And this report gives us an outline of what we need to do to really address it and to help human beings, which at the end of the day is what we all want to do. Tasha? Uh, so I have trust issues, and um, I would be reviewing and researching the plan to make sure it's the best plan. Um, I would also be going out into the community to make sure that communities understood what the plan is. Uh, and then even a step further, um, making sure that we are real serious that this is a crisis. Um, a woman just died, not even a month ago, sleeping outside in front of a business. And those business owners walked up, thought she was asleep, opened their doors, and then realized she hadn't moved. This is a crisis. Um, I am thinking that we need to move to a crisis position. And we need to call a state of an emergency just as Los Angeles did so that we can open up federal dollars so that we can get money to actually start to do things. Um, sometimes we don't also need to raise taxes. We need to look at other means um, as well. And having federal funding, I keep saying we all have to work together at this. We all created this, federal, state, county, and city. We all have to invest because we have de-invested de from so many communities and groups. And so those are some of the things that I would want to do. I would also look at putting a moratorium on evictions uh, because we're talking about 8,000 people that are unsheltered, but we're talking about 74,000 people that are on their way to being unsheltered. And then we're not even looking at the 10,000 military personnel that are on their way here in June of 2020 um, because they're going to be stationed here permanently. Nobody's talking about that, and we need to talk about it in a real way. We need to be open with the public about it because having 45,000 homes may not even cut it. It may not even cut it. So the plan, uh, you know, I, I respect the plan. There's been a process. There's been an investment to make it there. Your question was, should I be held accountable to it? Well, I mean, the council's now adopted it. I, I, as a former council member, often felt like the mayor needed to be more responsive to what uh, the council ratified. But here, here's my concerns about the plan. Um, first off, you know, if it's successfully deployed, we still have half of our homeless living unsheltered. And I think that that's still unacceptable. And I hope that you all agree with me that it's not acceptable to have 4,000 uh, people unsheltered in our community. I think the other part of the problem is it's just the city of San Diego. And the fact of the matter is there's homeless people in National City and in Chula Vista and Escondido and Oceanside and elsewhere. And so the mayor of San Diego, having the biggest bully pulpit in this region, should do something to convene the rest of those cities together. Because I don't think that San Diegans particularly care which side of the city limit the, the unsheltered person is, they want something done about that. And I think that's been missing in the conversation. I'm hopeful we will see a transformational change at the county board of supervisors so that we have a true partner in the effort. The city, the county, and other cities working together, hopefully driving for a situation where we have no uh, chronically homeless people, that should be our objective, and that's a bit higher than what has currently been adopted. All right, who has a question? Who wants to volunteer here? You have to uh, you have to be willing to play this game. So, do we have a mic out or? All right, come down here to this middle. Something like that. Okay. Are you hiding your Gloria pin? Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. What's your name, sir? Peter. Peter. What What neighborhood are you in? Mission Hills. 
Mission Hills. All right, and what do you do? I volunteer. All right, good. <laughs> I'm not going to push you too hard. All right. I will let you ask your question, but you have to handle this game. I'm going to read four things to you, four facts about San Diego's housing supply, how it's evolved. One of them is not true. So you will have to identify which is not true. I'll still let you answer your or ask your question, but you want to be right. You want to try to do it. <laughs> All right, number one, Californians say housing affordability is a big problem. Just 27% of households in San Diego can afford the county's median home of $655,000. That's one. Number two, since the end of the Great Recession in 2010, home building in the region bottomed out. San Diego's lack of home building since 2010 has resulted in 59,000 fewer units than what's needed to match population growth during that period. That's two. That's the 59,000 units, Scott. Number three, you might think, hey, that's not really so bad. When you hear this fact, San Diego permitted nearly double the amount of homes relative to each city's population compared to Houston, Nashville, Seattle in 2018. And number four, not only is San Diego not building much housing, but what it is building is a form overwhelmingly coming in at the high end of the market. From 2003 to 2010, California set a goal and set a goal for San Diego to build 107,000 homes. We hit 75% of that goal, but 80% of those homes were for above average incomes. Which one of those was not true? I think I'd rather fall off a scooter than try to answer <laughs> Do you remember in journalism school how to ask a question? Those are the four most complicated questions ever asked to a human being. All you have to, no, no. All you have to do is say A, B, C, or D. Three. Yeah, good job. Yes. All right, now you get to ask. Tasha, you had a marvelous idea about the city becoming a greater landlord. Do you have any thoughts about how that can happen? Um, yes, I think that we have property, uh, land that is vacant, and land that also has buildings. Uh, we need to renovate uh, those buildings into housing. Uh, we also have Section 8 housing ourselves. Um, and we, one of the things that I have an issue with is that there are people that have been on Section 8 for like 20-something years. So they're paying other people's mortgages, and once those people are done, they can evict them, they can raise the rent, Anything can happen, and we have issues with people actually refinding new housing on Section 8 because owners don't want Section 8 participants. What we need to start doing if we're going to have people on Section 8 for 20 years is actually have them become owners um, and help them find uh, income so that they can actually lift and pull themselves out of poverty. Those are the things that we should be doing because it saves taxpayers dollars. Uh, it helps us move to get other people into Section 8 and help them get out and moving people up. When we have people spending more money, when we have people who are homeowners, when we have people that are able to have incomes, they spend in the city and the city generates revenue. We found that time and time again. We need to all be pulling together so that we're lifting people up and not pushing them further down in poverty. 
um, those things would happen. With the vacant land that we have, we need to be building housing on that. With housing uh, units that are vacant, uh, we need to be regulating those because we have people that are supposed to have affordable housing units that aren't even using those affordable housing using units and rather pay the fees than actually have somebody in the units. And we need to have clear regulation across the board in this city that needs to change. I'm no nonsense, I don't play. I'm not playing these games of who did what, what did what. We need to regulate because we need to lift people up. You wanted to say something quick? So I just, I, so what Tasha said is really important. And what happened during the Great Recession is that Wall Street came, bought hundreds of thousands of single family homes across the United States, tens of thousands in California. And many families are very sadly renting back a house they used to own with no control over their rent. And what we need is a massive effort to encourage home ownership. The fees are up to $100,000 per unit to build a new unit of housing. And the state could take a role in picking up the cost of these fees. The state has billions of dollars in reserves right now. And this could be used to help first-time home buyers buy homes that have been owned by corporate landlords. And this would go a long way toward giving our residents control of their future, a way to create wealth, and a way to improve all of our neighborhoods. And this is something I will work on as mayor. It will require the state to get involved. There are some sources of local funding we can use to do this. But I think this is key in making San Diego a city where everyone feels they have a place at the table. So I, I just want to thank Peter for that question because I do think that the public sector and particularly public land can provide a much more uh, catalytic effect of increasing the amount of housing that we need both for low income and for middle income San Diegans. Um, I don't think we should be in the business of building more libraries, fire stations, or others without housing attached to it. I go by some projects that I voted for a number of years ago. I wish that I'd pushed harder on that. Um, importantly, I just got a bill signed by Governor Newsom, not the one that Scott wanted, but another one uh, that's also important to take the state's uh, building downtown, transfer to the city for the creation of more housing. Um, I, we can do that in other places. I'm currently working with Senator Atkins to block a new DMV in Hillcrest, not because the DMV there isn't horrible, it's horrible. It needs to be replaced, but it should not be replaced with a one-story building in suburban style. It is a block away from high-quality public transit. It should have a lot of low and moderate income housing on top of it. That's how you get to Tasha point about being more landlords uh, than, uh, than not. So Tasha, you brought something up that uh, I, I think is a, a, an important transit question that doesn't come up in transit discussions a lot, which is uh, security at MTS. Mm -hmm. um, I have I've written about this a number of times over the years. There's been a story recently about an, uh, an incident that, that took place there. I don't think that you do, but w how can the MTS board uh, be uh, more involved in in that agency and the way it employs its uh, its security systems and how make those security systems kind of reach a, a higher standard that we expect out of uh, other public safety officers? Thank you for that question. Um, and if you guys aren't aware, there was somebody who died in custody. Um, I believe it was three weeks ago. His name is Angel Hernandez, so I lift him and his family up today. 
Uh, we still don't know what happened, but we know that um, two MTS uh, uh, security officers were involved. One of the things that we have issue with, whether you are homeless, whether you have money, whether you are middle class, um, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, people are being traumatized for $2.50 to $5. They are being traumatized every single day. And it is elected officials who sit on a board that represent each and every one of us, and including all of the people who ride MTS Transit. And the way that we are being treated is horrible. The board can push the CEO. And if the CEO is not clear, he runs MTS. He, he looks at security. First of all, we should not have MTS as a pipeline for rogue officers um, who were pushed out of SDPD and then put into a chief's position at MTS, who looks at MTS as if it is an actual police force and they are militarized. That is not what MTS should be doing. MTS is in the business of transit. It should be making sure that commuters are safe, are getting to their destination safely. We should not be dragging people off like Georgette Gomez's uh, member was. We should not be harassing folks on MTS trolleys. These are serious things. Why do we even have MTS security in that manner? And now I'm being told that SDPD has just put a unit there. So now we don't only have MTS security, we have SDPD as a unit that is also on the trolleys. So there's clear militarization on MTS's side, and it is not safe. We have um, people who are mature uh, community members um, who are afraid to ride the trolley at night. You know, they are afraid. They are afraid to ride the trolley during the day. And you have people, because we haven't dealt with housing, in a real way and homelessness in a real way, that sometimes that is the safest place for them to actually sleep, to be safe from the streets. And so we need to figure out a way with the board um, to push the CEO to change the, the pipeline um, of police militarization and MTS um, or to get out. There, there is nothing else. For us, I'm prepared to boycott MTS because just like the bus boycotts, we couldn't sit in the front of the bus until we boycotted for 364 days. Our ancestors, our elders boycotted. That may have to change. We may have to boycott MTS because lives are at stake. Lives are being lost. People are being injured. There are a number of lawsuits that you guys even wrote about with MTS security. They are rogue, they are reckless, they are lawless, and the time is up. We will boycott. And as mayor, I will push it. Todd, you, you were on. Todd, you served on MTS's board. Um, first of all, does MTS have a security problem? And two, is that the type of topic that you think gets a fair amount of discussion at MTS's board in your experience of being on it? I can do that reverse. No, it doesn't. Um, the security issues are often secondary to budget, uh, to service, um, to, to other performance metrics, things of that nature. Um, and given recent events um, that are obviously, um, I'm not sure if it's a trend yet, but it's, it's uh, obviously the reporting suggests that it is needs doing. So to answer your first question, I think a part of the problem is that you, you get what you pay for, right? Our, the security services at MTS are actually contracted private security. Um, often with low-wage workers, they're not uniformed police officers, and I believe that that affects the level of training um, and the level of, of service that we get. Now, that it was often justified in the sense that, you know, this will help reduce uh, uh, cost and therefore keep fares low, but 
I think that with time, that's really not proving itself out to be helpful, particularly as Tasha says, when we hear uh, folks, and I hear them as well, saying that they don't feel comfortable on the system, they don't feel safe on the system. Um, you know, if we're gonna wanna make the mode share shift that we need to make, that the climate action plan demands that we make, we have to have a system that feels safe to people, and uh, it probably requires a reevaluation of the current approach to security on the system. Barbara, quickly. So I think um, MTS could be sandbag part two from 2016 in terms of, so you ask why one of the reasons I'm not supporting a tax measure from MTS is I don't trust MTS right now. And, uh, and I think the way they handle security is just one of many issues they need to deal with. MTS should be a welcoming place. I mean, they need customers. So it should be welcoming to everybody who wants to ride on it, and they should be treating everyone who rides on it with respect and dignity. Barbara, I wanted to ask you a question. One of the things we've been talking a lot about is housing supply and the ability to build and, and serve some of the needs, not just at the affordable level, at all levels. I'm looking at an Instagram post you did of, um, you, you're a superhero, the superhero pose, and uh, you're standing over North Park, and there's uh, all these uh, hands coming at you, and you're, you're oh, blocking actually, them. Actually, the um, City Beat did that, not me. They, okay. They, they did that. Well, you used okay. it as an ad, though. Yeah, but they created it. No okay. <laughs> uh, so you're standing over North Park, and you're, you're blocking it, and, it's, and you said, you're the protector of San Diego's single-family neighborhoods. What neighborhoods are those and what are you protecting them from? So earlier I talked about the, corp the potential corporate takeover of our neighborhoods about, and this is well documented, there's a new book out, Home Wreckers, written by a journalist who's been nominated for, and won many awards. It's documented that Wall Street bought hundreds of thousands of single family homes in our country, tens of thousands in California during the Great Recession. I want our neighborhoods to be for us, for the people who live and work in San Diego, not for out-of-town Wall Street corporations. So, so you, it's not that you're protecting them from more people? No, I'm protecting them from out-of-town business interests that own many homes in single-family neighborhoods in San Diego when the individuals who live in those homes have no control over their rent. And so there are single-family resident neighborhoods that you think could take more population growth? So, so this, um, as a city council member, I have voted to make it easier to build a granny flat. That allows almost every home in San Diego to have a second unit on its property. Um, increased density in suburban neighborhoods is not the way we're going to solve our housing issue. The state would like to pass laws like SB 50, uh, which I think my opponent may have supported at a moment in time. And that does not pay for the infrastructure we need to make all of this housing work. As I mentioned earlier, it's about $100,000 we add to the cost of housing because that is what, how we build and pay for the infrastructure that we need. The state, when they pass all these laws, doesn't want to give us the money to pay for the increased infrastructure and aggravation that comes with adding units. Where it's appropriate to add housing units is along transit. I have voted to add 45,000 housing units along transit in Mission Valley, on the Morena Corridor, on, on the Balboa Corridor, and, and in Mission Valley. And that is appropriate because those are areas where we already have transit. So density makes sense. I, hold on. I, so SB 50, though, would focus most of its development around transit. Um, it got a little bit wonky towards the end there and had a number of other provisions, but fundamentally, 
it's identifying transit stations as the place that more housing should be built. Why is that at odds with what you just said? So I support local control of land use planning. It's the basis of our democracy. I don't support Sacramento dictating to us what gets built in our neighborhoods. In San Diego, we are taking the right steps. I mean, we've approved all these community plan updates that will add 45,000 housing units by right. We've done it all in the last year. I voted for all of this in the last year. It will take time to get these units built. And so in San Diego, we are doing the right things. As mayor, I will continue to make sure we are building in the appropriate places. I don't want Sacramento dictating to us without giving us money for infrastructure. All right. Um we got to start going. So, um, Todd, you've been in, you were on the city council elected in 20, 2008. I remember I covered that. Um, so, beginning around then, three community plan updates went forward. One in Uptown, Golden Hill, North Park. Uptown, uh, you, you not only, so you were there not only to start them, but to finish them. Yep. Uptown saw zero percent density increase in the community plan. Golden Hill zero percent density increase. North Park just seven percent density increase. And yet, you were at the same time championing a climate action plan that demands a retrofit of a lot of these areas so that people use transit more often. Um, you have become the champion of the Yimbies, the Yes in Our Backyard. But how does that square when you actually had the opportunity to make these decisions? Um, you know, how does that square with, with them not actually making those changes? Well, I appreciate the question. I think you're missing a, a key piece of perspective, which was that, and particularly in the case of the Uptown Community Plan, it was a very forward-looking plan, the previous one, right? And we dealt with a lot of challenging projects during my time on the City Council and maybe just before, uh, where people weren't aware that the corner of Third and University that you could propose and potentially build uh, a 15, 15 story structure. I think that illustrates what the old plan already had. Now, sadly, that's the side of a Walgreens today with no housing attached to it. And I guess it makes my point of saying that the existing plans uh, that were updated uh, were, again, envisioned a, a very large amount of additional housing that never got built. The Uptown plan, as you say, sort of stayed static. We got some great progress, I think, in North Park, and you see the evidence of that by all the construction that's going on there today. Um, and I guess it's important to say, going back to maybe the previous question that you raised, um, is that no one neighborhood is going to solve the entirety of this problem. No one city is going to solve it in the entirety of the state. Everyone has to do their part. And so it is um, maybe an easier conversation in the uptown community. It's a harder one in other parts uh, of San Diego. And the mayor has to be willing to lead that conversation. And I'm, I'm interested in doing that. I, you know, I, th I think, though, when so YIMBY, as a, as a term, positions itself against NIMBYs, right? And I think the, the way this conversation often goes, and I think you said a version of it earlier, is that uh, people tend to always have some reason why this isn't the right place or this isn't the right time. Um, we won't be able to pay for this amount of things. Um, and that there's already an allowed uh, a capacity to build within an existing plan or some other place has already accounted for that amount of growth or, uh, well, if people just took advantage of this plan that's already on the books, we wouldn't need to build this plan in front of us. That's something that is said in this conversation often. And it, it sounds very similar to me to what you're saying about uh, Uptown going through a, a lengthy community plan update process 
that resulted in no upzone units. And you know, that's uptown. That's the that's besides downtown, it's it's probably our most urban in, environment. And I wonder, do you think you did enough on the council to make that that new plan uh, something that would yield in uh, the sorts of policies that you advocate for? Yeah, I do, as evidenced by the construction that's going on in those communities. I mean, there needs to be more. But again, my, my overarching point is that North Park and Uptown are not going to solve the entire city's problems. And that's not advocating for building Uptown and North Park projects all across San Diego, but it is to say that uh, if there's more that is, there's to be done, you know, it is, uh, this is the responsibility of every community. And I think the challenge, as mentioned before, plans are easy to pass. It's the projects that are harder. Um, and that has been something uh, throughout my career I, you know, I've done. I mean, we've seen projects like Kensington Terrace or One Mission in Mission Hills, projects that were very controversial that uh, were, had heavy opposition, but once they get built, they're generally embraced and, and, and liked. And I think that's the challenge for uh, city decision makers and a part of why there is a need for some state action because importantly, not every city is San Diego. Not every city is passing you know, parking minimum eliminations, uh, you know, more by right uh, approvals. Uh, lot, many of them are not. And we need, to, we need to make sure that they're doing their fair share so we can credibly say that San Diego is not solving the state's housing crisis by itself. Did you support SB 50? I did not have a chance to vote on it. And I probably will have an opportunity to vote on it next year. And I've uh, shared some, some changes I'd like Senator Weiner to look at uh, in order to gain my And those changes are needed before you would support I need three volunteers who want to ask a question. Yes, sir, stand up over here. All right, candidates, uh, underneath your chair, you have a sheet of paper. All right, Todd. Yes. Uh, you are going to read, I'm sorry, what's your name? Rogelio Martinez. Rogelio. Uh, Rogelio's going to try to guess true or false statements uh, that you're going to make about your background. Uh, Rogelio, what part of town are you from? I'm actually from Long Beach, California. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you allowed here? Or... <laughs> All right, Rogelio. Uh, Todd, are you ready? Please read uh, your statements. Rogelio, I, my first statement is I am Todd Gloria. <laughs> True. <laughs> Not Nick Serrano. Uh, uh, I am half Native American, a quarter Filipino, and a little bit Dutch and Puerto Rican. True. Correct. Keep going. Yes. My middle name is Rex, making me T-Rex. False. That's actually true. My middle name <laughs> is Rex. I really don't like those Jurassic Park movies at all. <laughs> uh, when I'm at McDonald's, I like to order a number two. And when I'm at In-N-Out, I like a double-double uh, with grilled onions. True. Not true. I don't like those onions. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Uh, we're almost there. Uh, well, I was not very a... good at this. I don't know. <laughs> That's because I'm from Long Beach. <laughs> you tell Mayor Garcia I said hi. Um, I will. I was a part of a youth group, the Aaron Price Fellows. <laughs> that Susan Davis, Congresswoman Susan Davis, led and helped to create before she went to Congress. True all the way. <laughs> That's exactly right. Shout out to the fellows. Are there Aaron Price, Price fellows here? Yes. Uh, just three more. As council president, I pushed the, cre the city to increase the minimum wage, and then Republicans worked with a Democrat to get me booted out. True. That is true. 
Can we just linger on that for a minute? Or to... I know you have been. Yeah. I thought this was group therapy. I'm sorry. Is that not what this is? Okay. 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 Uh, I once introduced the female singing group TLC to a music festival. True. That is true, and it was awesome. Can I just tell you? <laughs> All right, and last but not least, I never wanted to be in Congress anyway. Not true. <laughs> that one's false. There you go. Good not job. Not in a long All time. Right. Not in a very long time. All right, what's your question? Quick. So my question is, um, I hear from my city that San Diego is very pro-STR. So what are you going to do for STRs? As uh, vacation rentals. Yeah. Short-term rentals, vacation rentals. This is actually for anybody on the panel, and that's because it's a big, it's a big deal. Yeah, all three quickly, and then who wants to do the next one? A uh, woman? Uh, go ahead. Start with Todd. So, uh, T-Rex, I mean. The as I, I think I, yeah, that's very fun. So I think I, I tried to just as briefly, you know, San Diego has not regulated vacation rentals. So the impression that you have is informed by the fact that we have yet to take decisive action. When I was on the city council, uh, I authored, uh, I passed two motions that were approved to regulate this. The current mayor did not uh, act upon those motions. Uh, this issue ought to be resolved uh, this year. Uh, and if it's not, I will act uh, to regulate them and enforce the law against those who are currently operating. Barbara, what do you think about oh, short-term vacation rentals? I think that, again, just like scooters and bikes, uh, we did not regulate them. We opened up the door and allowed them to come in and make a lot of money. Um, and some of those families um, are just trying to pay their mortgages. So we have to be honest about, you know, other sides of it as well. Uh, but there's no regulation. People are not paying into the TOT. Uh, they're not doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. And the city is poor. They get a big, fat fail. Um, for no regulation of anything. I mean, they don't do anything. They spend our money recklessly. They don't regulate things that are important to us and should be important to them so that we have money so we're not increasing taxes um, on, on regular citizens again. Uh, these are things that are important and we should be monitoring to make sure that people who sit up here and say they're going to do something, that they do it. And when they don't, hold, up, hold them to it. Councilwoman, is this something you cared to comment on? Yes, I think so. Um, I'm most known as the most anti-Airbnb member of the San Diego City Council. I tried to compromise with them a year and a half ago. Uh, they didn't like the legislation the City Council passed. They collected signatures. We were forced to rescind. Our current municipal code prohibits them in residential neighborhoods. And as mayor, I will enforce the existing municipal code. We have 16,000 single-family homes. That's 3% of our housing stock at a time of a housing shortage that have been turned into short-term vacation rentals. In addition, we are now learning that apartments, there's a building in North Park called the Louisiana, there are apartments downtown that are also being turned into short-term vacation rentals. I can't understand why our current mayor is not enforcing the existing code. I will start doing it on day one and return these units to the housing market for San Diegans to live in. All right. Uh, we should say now, I don't, I don't know if um, short-term vacation rentals are supposed to pay uh, vacation, uh, hotel taxes. I don't know if you meant that they're supposed to, but don't. But That's, some of them do and some, some of them, them some don't. Of them, yeah. All right. And two weeks ago, we found three single-room occupancy units air advertised on Airbnb. Ooh. All right, we have a new contestant. Uh, Tasha, do you have your sheet ready? Hold on, let's see. Uh, what's your name, ma'am? Um, Amy Zamundio. And what uh, neighborhood do you live in? I live in La Jolla. Okay. 
Uh, and uh, Tasha, are you ready? I am. <laughs> <laughs> True or false? I am Tasha Williamson. True. I was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. I moved to San Diego in 2000. True, but I thought you moved here a little bit earlier. Nope, 2000. 2000. Okay. Are you I a will... Tasha Williamson trivia? <laughs> <laughs> it was 1999. What right, is this bullshit? Right, right. Like, <laughs> this, might, this might be rigged. Uh, my family had their first family reunion here a long time ago. I was a little kid, so <laughs> I have family here. Um, I was permanently traumatized by Friday the 13th and can no longer watch horror movies. False. False. She's oh, yeah, no, girl, I can't do horror movies. Yeah. So I, can I tell him the story behind it? So me and my mom were watching Friday the 13th, and I was probably way too young to be doing it, but she was like, yeah, she's trying to be cool. And Jason jumped out of a window, and we were at the foot of the bed, and when we looked up, we were at the head of the bed, and I was like, I'm out. And I went, turn my lights on, I wouldn't go to sleep, I can't do dark, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite films are Chairman of the Board, starring Carrot Top in Jury Duty, starring Polly Shore. <laughs> False. Yeah, because I don't know who. I Carrot Top. <laughs> yeah, I know Carrot Top. Um, Paul, yeah. Polly Shore likes Polly to make Shore. fun of unsheltered people, so. Yeah, I, I think I know him a little bit, you know. And I was on jury duty, so. <laughs> I founded the San Diego Compassion Project to help victims of families deal with violence-related trauma. True, and thank you. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, I hate bananas so intensely that I cannot be near them, and I cannot stand the smell. True. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So my mom swears that I used to have a banana in my hand everywhere I went when I was a little kid, and like I hate them now. And like she must have gave me way too many because my body rejects them. I was briefly homeless and lived in my car. True. Yes. My favorite musicians are not my. Well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let's try it again. You didn't hear that. <laughs> Uh, my favorite musicians are Tina Turner and Earth, Wind, and Fire. True? Kinda. <laughs> Kinda. You know, I I'm like with her. Them on my own. Like, I like her. Like, <laughs> That's Tina Turner. I, I do not understand rap music. The beats are good, but they have to go slow for me to hear what they're saying. False. Oh, yeah, no. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true, girl. Yeah, I mess up. My kids clown me all the time. They're like, Mom, that's not the word. I'm like, oh, it sounded like it. <laughs> all right, what's your question for Tasha? Okay, so I feel like I see that we go around saying we want equity and equality, and I'm not seeing that in all of our districts within San Diego, and especially when it comes to things like housing and the NAACP has a lawsuit. So how would you level this playing field? I mean, I'm coming from the polar opposite community of La Jolla, and what would your plan to really kind of... Do we have enough time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said what's your you plan for revolution? 
you, <laughs> said, you wouldn't stop me. Like, um, one thing that we need to do is we need to start within the city employment. Um, we have gender gaps. We don't have equality and equity within our own city uh, city infrastructure um, with employment. Uh, an audit just came out. You guys should read it because it was horrifying. Um, people of color are given uh, less money uh, than white people uh, and women are given less money uh, than men. And so for all of us on this panel to be talking about activism and women's rights and you know people's rights, uh, we're failing in the city that um, my two opponents were employed in. And so I think that we first start with the city uh, and then we work out into um, the neighborhoods uh, with the city council members and, and the community members because there is a lack of equity um, and equality in the school systems that um, clearly, you know, Todd Gloria and all the other assembly members could, could definitely change with education uh, and, you know, making sure that people are safe. Uh, and you can still do that. So I would love to see some legislation about that. Uh, and then also with Barbara Bree, um, she is a, a huge supporter of trying to make sure that, that things are, are made right um, when it comes to the things that she knows about um, and that she's available to receive about. Uh, but it's, it's just a, a lack of courage that it seems for me. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here is because there was an absolute lack of courage for people to stand up um, for people who did not look like them, for people that they missed um, and left out. Um, and that is not just race, but gender. Um, and, and it crosses all, like age, it crosses everything. These people are seriously left out and nobody stands up for them. I mean, I, I look at the LGBT community and um, you know, we had a number of black gender, um, black transgender women that were murdered. Um, we had a number of issues. And unfortunately, in the LGBT community, black people are not really elevated. Um, they have not been. That's why they just had their first meeting uh, with uh, that group. And so there has to be equity across the board. We have to fight and we have to do it together. You know, we're on here as opponents, but there's a lot of work to be done that we can do together. Um, Barbara Bree and I were at the mass shooting in La Jolla working together, making sure that families were taken care of because I called her to let her know, hey, this is your, your city. I want to respect them. I know we're opponents, but we have to be respectful of each other because we sit up here and laugh, but people's lives are at stake. You know, <laughs> San Diego has still the, the name of Mississippi of the West. Um, and people are not aware of that, but you should be because you've had that name since the 60s. Uh, and you keep with the systemic failures, um, the lack of equality and equity across the board, um, that you look like the deep, deep south of the 60s where Trump would like us to get back to to make America great again. All right. I got another one. So, do you want to ad address it real quick? So... When this report came out at the city, which showed the gender gap, the disparity gap among people of color, it honestly didn't surprise me. It's what I've experienced in the last three years since I've been at City Hall. And those of you who know me know that I've spent my life fighting for equity for women. I've started two organizations that empower women, Athena San Diego for women in the innovation economy and Run Women Run to elect pro-choice women to office in San Diego. And in much of my life, I was paid less than the comparable men. Uh, today, I am paid the same as the comparable men. All of us on the city council earn the same. 
And, and I've had, had my own Me Too experiences. As a young journalist, a senior uh, government official would call me at home at night wanting to come over. I was in my 20s. I'd never told anybody at the time. I was too embarrassed. I just dealt with it as best I could. And my response as I have encountered challenges and problems my whole life is to bring a group of people together to solve it. That's what I did with Athena. That's what I did with Run Women Run. And as the Me Too movement unfolded around the world, I started what is now called the Workplace Equity and Civility Initiative, uh, which is a partnership of Athena, Run Women Run, the Lawyers Club, the National Conflict Resolution Center, and the San Diego Union Tribune. And it is really about bringing equity to all of the workplaces in San Diego, no matter where you work, a little company, a big company, for-profit, non-profit, a military, a hospital. I have spent my life doing this. This is what I am. I was brought up by a single working mom who earned less than the comparable men, and there was nothing she could do about it. This was the 1960s, and you can only imagine the Me Too experiences she endured, and there was literally nowhere to turn. There weren't even laws against it at the time. So as mayor, equity will be a key part of what I do, because it is what I have done my whole life. Right. It is who I am. All right, uh, Scott, let's do our last one. Barbara, do, uh, you have your sheets. Scott, do I get to answer that question? Do you mind if we just go, or do you? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> okay, you all are trying to get somewhere else. Let me just say, uh, <laughs> sorry. On the issue of equity, this is a very important question. I appreciate you asking it, particularly given the neighborhood you live in. I will just be succinct by saying, if we want to change the city, we have to change the people in leadership. The city has never had a Native American. Puerto Rican, Filipino, Dutch, gay mayor before. And we can change the tone at the top by changing the people that we put into these offices. And equity will guide what I choose to do as mayor because it's very important that every neighborhood has a voice at City Hall. So thank you for the question. Thank you. All right, we got to wrap this up. Okay. What's your name? Naval. Naval? Yeah. What part of town are you uh, from? I live in Hillcrest. Okay. Um, are you ready, Barbara? Sure. Um, I am Barbara Bree. Correct. My favorite food is apple pie. Probably true, yes. I do love apple pie. <laughs> I could eat apple pie every day. Uh, I was once in the audience for the game show Truth or Consequences, which I think it's fair to say was essentially a better version of the podcast game we're playing right now. Highly specific, so true. Yes, it's true. I, w I was once the editor of Voice of San Diego. We heard that before, too. Yes, that's true. Uh, I once wrote mystery novelist Sue Graft in a fan letter, and she later included a minor character named Barbara Bree in her novel, F is for Fugitive. Uh, true. Um, it's false, but Sue Grafton um, is one of my favorite uh, writers. She's a, a mystery writer, and uh, I've always loved female, strong female protagonists. And uh, Kinsey Mulhone is her protagonist. Um, I can't carry a tune. True? <laughs> yeah, it's false, true. It's, it's very true. So please don't ask me to sing. Uh, I think singing, uh, carrying a tune is not a requirement to be the mayor. Actually, that's my next question is to ask you uh, to sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but since I like, uh, but I will have people around me who can sing. So. <laughs> um, I was a Latin scholar in high school. True? Yes, it's true. Uh, when I was first elected to the city council, I hired as my chief of staff someone who just finishing serving in that role for Todd Gloria. True. It is true. She was a great chief of staff. All right. 
the final question of the night, sir, what do you got? Uh, so if you're between 18 and 49 years old, your most likely cause of death is actually a car collision. And recent data from the federal government shows that even as fewer people are dying in cars, more people are dying uh, as pedestrians and on bicycles. So my question is, what would you do to improve pedestrian and bicycle user safety and also a sense of safety? Great question, and I'm also going to add... Good job. I'm also going to add, you got to give me a take on bike lanes on 30th, but go ahead. As a council member, I have advocated for funding for Vision Zero, uh, focused on the intersections where there, you know, we have documented that there are the most accidents, and uh, we are making progress. Uh, it's very important to make San Diego a city where both pedestrians and bicyclists are safe. And as you probably noticed in the last few months, we have added bike lanes downtown and in other areas uh, near the urban core. And on 30th? And 30th, I want to see the data. So I, um, you've heard I was a journalist. I was in the business world. I like to see data before I make decisions. And I want to see the data on why that street was chosen versus streets parallel as to why the bike lanes would be better there. So I'm, I'm, my mind is open. I want to see the data. The data has not been shared with the community. And that is what the community is particularly upset about. Tasha, there's, there's an interesting potential collision between Vision Zero and, and uh, criminal justice. You know, some of the um, pedestrian, you know, uh, in, in places, ProPublica did a great report about some cities that were giving a, a disproportionate amount of tickets for jaywalking to people of color. And, you know, if the crackdown comes on, on stuff like that, um, is there a potential collision with the Vision Zero plan? Are there other things to think about with this uh, uh, effort to protect people? Uh, yes, definitely. I think that uh, we could go back even about six or seven years ago when Rady Children's Hospital uh, was actually centrally located in um, some of the schools within uh, Southeast San Diego, and they were actually doing preventative measures because there were a number of um, pedestrian vehicular accidents that were happening uh, in that district. And, and so we would actually bring that back. Um, they did, had a lot of data. They did a lot of studying. They made sure that um, schools and, and communities surrounding um, central locations where those accidents were happening um, had education. And so um, they even did e events uh, around that education to get community members out. Uh, and so we were able to actually uh, help reduce that. But into your uh, question for ticketing, um, the city of San Diego, even with MTS tickets, is uh, heavily ticketing people uh, of color um, and um, LGBTQ gender as well. Uh, so we have to look at that. Um, in southeastern San Diego in 2007 when I came here, we actually worked very closely uh, with that southeastern division um, who didn't give tickets. They actually gave warnings um, and because they knew uh, the dynamics of ticketing someone who lived in communities and not just District 4, but District 8 and District 9 took it on as well. Um, that it would be a hardship. 
And so uh, the same thing with MTS and anywhere else, we should be looking at that. The other day, uh, a young woman was stopped in front of my house by a police officer, and instead of ticketing her, he offered her services and supports uh, straight out of southeastern uh, San Diego. It's on my Facebook, and it went viral. And so um, it, it's, it's really, we, we have to do more than just ticket. Um, that can't just be a source of revenue, but we have to actually have services and supports and education, um, because you can ticket somebody that's not going to stop them from doing it again. And do you have a take on the 30th Street bike lane? So mobility uh, is, is a big concern for me. And so I think that anything that we do, we need to consider ADA um, folks and make sure that our uh, mature uh, citizens are, are able to, to be mobile. Because I think uh, if we take away people's independence uh, for people who live independently and have you know, all of their faculties to do everything. I think that we're, we're, we're giving to one and damaging the other, and we have to find an equitable way um, to support all. Thank you for the question about Vision Zero. I think it is really important, and it's often overlooked, the kinds of fatalities that we see for pedestrians, just like in the number of fatalities we have for the homeless. These stories get overglossed over among sexier subject matters, but are so important, and the city can lead on this. When we adopted the Vision Zero plan, I was on the city council, and I criticized the plan at the time because it was, again, a plan with no additional funding or support to actually improve the, the intersections that we know are particularly deadly. Groups like uh, Circulate San Diego have worked to try and address that in the meantime, but we have to do a whole lot more because, as you probably know, the data is going in the wrong direction. We're seeing more pedestrian deaths, and that is not good, particularly in the context of our climate plan. Um, and so I think we can do that, particularly leveraging uh, resources at SANDAG. You may know under AB 805, the mayor of San Diego has the ability to lead at SANDAG. Our current mayor does not choose to do it. This mayor will. And we can make sure that we get our fair share of resources to fund active transportation, to get our Vision Zero plans uh, implemented, uh, and actually keep you safe when you want to walk from where you want to go. Uh, with regard to mobility, you know, I voted for the downtown mobility plan, the uh, uptown mobility plan, the North Park mobility plan. And so to your question, Scott, and by the way, those are just now getting built, which just shows you that this takes too long, particularly when you're just talking about a can of paint and a couple of stanchions, right? This shouldn't be this difficult. Um, but to your question, I voted for the climate action plan. I voted for the bicycle master plan. I voted for the North Park community plan update. Uh, I have voted and I support uh, bike lanes on third. 30th Street. Um, I think that it's very important. Um, I recognize the parking impacts are significant and the potential impacts to the disabled are significant, but I don't believe in the binary choice of saying that it has to be bike lanes or parking. I believe that we can find offsets on the other sides of the street. I think we can do more by the disabled people. And if you disagree with me, we were able to do that successfully when we installed bike lanes uh, on University Avenue through Hillcrest and when we built a bus rapid transit line down Park Boulevard between Hillcrest and North Park. Uh, reject the false choices you have to make. Just demand more from staff and they can deliver it. Okay. We did it. PolitiFest is over. Look, first of all, first of all, uh, it takes a lot of guts to uh, put yourself up to try to lead a city like this. So to our candidates. Um, and uh, to my colleagues, not just Sarah and Andy, but uh, so many of you out there in the orange shirts that make uh, this possible, all the volunteers and the sponsors and the donors uh, that come together to make uh, a celebration of public affairs and public discussion possible like this. Thank you so much. And uh, let's go enjoy this. Thank you all for coming.
All right. Thank you for listening to the bonus episode of the Voice of San Diego podcast. Make sure you keep an eye on your podcast feed. This week, we'll be posting other panels from PolitiFest, including the hotel tax measure debate that I moderated. That was good. Uh, I enjoyed that. We had some uh, moments of levity and also uh, got into some uh, thornier disputes about that issue. So stay tuned. Uh, There's also the Transit in the West panel and others. Don't forget to join us for our weekly roundup of local news every Friday afternoon in this feed on the Voice of San Diego's main podcast. Thanks. Thanks.